I'm Anushka Astana and this is Today in Focus. We're bringing you general election coverage every day from Hartlepool. I mean the government talk about left behind towns and left behind places and actually that presupposes they were ever at the same starting point. To Belfast. I'm old enough to remember getting on the bus and them coming on with sniffer dogs to find out if there were bombs under the seats. We're talking to people and not just politicians to really get to the heart of this election. Subscribe now wherever you download your podcasts. Hello, my name is Dr. Rongan Chatterjee, host of the Feel Better Live More podcast, where I give you simple tips on things like improving sleep, energy and gut health that will leave you feeling happier and calmer. The podcast is brought to you by JW Marriott. Travelling can really take its toll on the body, but inspired by the principles of mindfulness, JW Marriott is designed to let you focus on feeling whole. With more than 90 hotels in the world, visit jwmarriott.com for more information. 108. As I tore through Dr. Kahindi Andrews' new book, Back to Black, scribbling in the margins and highlighting passage after passage, I felt within me the fire I first felt reading Malcolm X and James Baldwin. In Back to Black, Dr. Andrews calls us to revisit and reimagine the black radicalism of yesteryear, a black radicalism that is too often conflated with cultural nationalism. My main question after reading the book was this, how do queer black people adopt a black radicalism that was historically exclusive and patriarchal? Indeed, after reading Back to Black, I immediately picked up Bell Hooks's Ain't I a Woman. In it, she says this, From their writings and speeches, it is clear that most black political activists of the 60s saw the black liberation movement as a move to gain recognition and support for an emerging black patriarchy. In response, Dr. Andrews reminds us that many of the leaders we lionize weren't actually black radicals and asks us to ask ourselves and each other whether the ideology is flawed or the men who led the movements. Back to Black covers everything from pan-Africanism to liberal radicalism, and so whether he's denying the black radicalism of Beyonce... or calling Black Panther a movie for white people. He does so to ensure we keep casting a critical eye and that we continually examine and interrogate ourselves in this movement so we don't become complacent. We can't just put on a beret and raise our fists. We have to actually roll up our sleeves and do something. Through this book, Dr. Andrews reminds those of us with the fire of radicalism in our bellies that the future we imagine is very, very possible. I'm Josh Rivers, and I'm Busy Being Black with Dr. Kahindi Andrews. start at with your own introduction to black radicalism mm-hmm. I mean none of us are born fully formed nope and so what was your kind of awakening experience well my family's always had a tradition so my father was one of the founders of the Harambe organization and also the African Caribbean self-help organization which are two long-standing organizations in Birmingham uh, my mom uh, was worked for the Commission for Racial Equality for years and years wow. and years and years. One of the first generation of uh, women to wear their hair in, in an afro, which at the time was just, imagine you go to work one day, all the black women have their hair tied back, and the next day it's just pow, <laughs> and that's, that's how they're just walking into work. So at my bookshelf, at my, my mom and dad's house are just full of all these books, Malcolm, Massage Shakur, Angela Davis is on there, and, it's, and that's sort of, at some point I was going to, Open the books and start reading them, and that that was probably my awakening. Younger as a younger as a younger person up into school, it's not something you probably would have expected from me. I was probably more rebelling and more into had a lot of white friends and that side, and got called coconut at school a lot. But right about sixteen, seventeen, started reading. Just started reading, and it totally changed everything. Yeah, no, the power of books cannot be underestimated. <laughs> yeah, there's a book, uh, Stokely Speaks, uh, from Black Power to Pan-Africanism, and I honestly only picked it up because the front cover looks so ridiculous. Like, he's holding this shotgun over his head. It looks, and I was like, this is going to be a joke. So I, but I picked the book up and just from then on completely changed And what was everything. it about what Stokely was writing about that really struck a chord with you? Uh, we just had much, I mean, the book was written in the 70s, 70s in America, but literally everything that he was saying in that book, very similar to if you read Malcolm or if you read Asar Shakur, it's, it cuts through to your experience and you can, it just speaks to you. And the good thing about From Black Power to Pan-Africanism, it was very direct about what do you do? How does this work? What's this politics mean? And that's actually what I tried to do with, with the book, Back to Black. Mm. I think you did a very good job of that. I love this book. Okay. 
That's quite, that's, that's a good starting point. If you can't tell, <laughs> I'm showing Kehinde my heavily highlighted and tabbed um, copy of his of his book, and I'm going to jump right in actually because um, I think for those who are listening who haven't um, yet read mm. um, Back to Black: Retelling Black Radicalism for the 21st Century, um, I think it might help us to define what Black radicalism mm. is. So, what is Black radicalism? Well, the short version of this is two things, basically. One is black, and that's important because blackness is, and there's a whole chapter on blackness, mm -hmm. uh, that's the connection, that's the glue. And what that means is it's the recognition of the way that we, the, the color of our skin or the kink of our hair, that's not by accident, right? That tells us something about ourselves and connects us into Africa and the African diaspora. So it's all, that's the first part of black radicalism is that we are, we, we understand and see ourselves as connected and have responsibility to each other. Uh, the second part of radicalism makes it radical is that it's all about overturning the existing political system. Mm. And this is where the book is probably more con somewhat controversial because half the book is literally about saying a lot of the things you think are radical or call radical aren't radical at all. Yes. If it's not about revolution, it's simply not radical. And mm. there's very few radical ideas, actually. Yes. If it's not about revolution, it's not radical. And that revolution is obviously pertaining to the overthrowing of the Western system. Yes. I think you've said it here. Um, for black radicals, America, Britain, or any other Western nation state are not places which we should be seeking to integrate, but rather empires that we need to oppose, not beloved communities of shared tradition and aspirations, but coercive states to be overthrown. Exactly. And the key word is overthrown. And if we're honest, much, I don't know, 2% of, of what we're trying to do is to overthrow and a lot of our politics, black politics as well. Politics I've been included in and, and probably still am included in some ways, is about how do we make it better for us here. Mm. But here is the problem, and we need to not be thinking about that. We need to be thinking about how to do something totally different. So 2% of us are focused on overthrowing. The other 98% are house Negroes. <laughs> That's one way to put it. I wouldn't necessarily put it that way, but you could put it that way. I tell you what, <laughs> I was triggered. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I think it's interesting because to be honest, I'm a, I mean, come on, I'm a house Negro. I mean, I, I have more money than most people in the world. Mm. Probably about ninety six percent of people in the world. Mm. Uh, I have a I have a job which puts me in a very privileged position, uh, privileged more than most white people, if we're honest. Um, and that that is difficult, right? And that is what's a big. That's why the book's called Back to Black. It's because fifty years ago, I wouldn't be in the position. I mean, actually, it's pretty unlikely I'd be in the position I'm in today, to be honest. Mm. Fifty years ago, you had you was no law that said that you couldn't discriminate against me on the basis of being black. Right. And what that meant was is that we weren't really in the house properly. We were, we were properly outside of it. People understood we were outside of it. And so they had to do start organizations and do more radical things. But in the last 50 years, we've been bought off. We've been incorporated in to the extent that, you know, I, I, should, I know that the logic of my book is I should leave my job immediately and go, go and work with the organization full time. But I've, I've got used to the trinkets, right? I've, I've got used right. to the lifestyle of having a... Uh, and well, it's not really a nine-to-five job, you know, it's a salary position. And that's the problem. We've kind of become part of the house, vast majority of us. So you say something in the, in the book, and I can't find the exact quote, but you <laughs> said, the legacy of the civil rights movement is what we have now. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, that, I think that's that is something that we really have to understand, <laughs> is that civil rights worked. It did what it was supposed to do, which was about how do you change legislation, how do you get, how do you get us more access to the system, access and reform. And we have access and we have reform. It's not perfect. Um, we don't have equal access. We never have equal access because we're black and people need to remember that. But we do have the, the laws were passed, particularly in America. I mean, you have affirmative action. So that's completely foreign to the UK mm -hmm. in many ways. Mm -hmm. um, and the problem is that the successes of the civil rights movement are what, are what we have today, a middle class, but a massive, vast majority of us here still locked out, uh, what Malcolm called second class citizenship. It's not about making following through on that dream that dream's finished it's about going back and doing a different understanding that was a wrong turn and we need to go to the radical, mm. the radical i think logic. yeah because you say like there was the, there was the potential yeah. before we got bought out yeah. what was happening was there was almost an overthrow of yeah, capitalism I mean, of, of yeah. western society as we knew it what was it that almost overthrew capitalism well the 60s well actually when matt so when matt when I make these arguments about revolution and revolutionary and Africanism, et cetera, et cetera, now, it sounds like a fantasy. When yeah. Malcolm made his arguments in 65, this was the reality, right? You had emergent revolutions on the African continent. You had a much more radical political movement in America and even in the Caribbean to some extent. And what happened was effectively 
the West did two really clever things. Well, one's obvious, just killed a lot of people. So a lot of the revolutionaries just literally were killed. But the other thing, which is more insidious, was to give some concessions, right? So you give civil rights legislation, you give people independence, like independence struggles. So the big turning point for me, the West is the West, but the African continent is, a, is the big turning point. There was a decision, there was a cl- very clear path of we're going to have revolutionary pan-Africanism, where we go against the West, we have we break down the borders, we have uni- unite the continent, and we have something truly different. Or we keep the national, the nation states we've been put into, mm-hmm. we take the trappings of the state, we, have, we join the UN, blah, 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 and guess what we did? We went down that route, and that, more than anything, uh, destroyed the revolutionary potential um, on the continent. And so your book is calling us back to that turning point to say that here we had something and to resist ostensibly integration. Yeah, why, why do you want to integrate into this? This is terrible. <laughs> like it's not good for any. It's not good for white people. Jesus, it's definitely not good for us. And I think that's that sixties point. It really is. It really is. In terms of independence movements uh, across the world, in terms of racial relations movements, is that's the turning point. That's when we become incorporate into the system. And before then, we were far more outside of it. So I always talk about the Universal Negro Improvement Association, uh, which is problematic in many ways. But it, it was a five million member organization in 1920 across 50 countries. Mm. It's the biggest black radical organization, certainly probably the biggest black organization, I would say, of all time. And they had no internet, they had no, they didn't have social media, they had very little connection between each other technologically, but built something that we couldn't even imagine. And why is it? It's because when Garvey went around the Caribbean, he went around America, and he went around the worst traveled to Africa, everybody was like, well, obviously we don't want to be part of this. Like, obviously like we leave Jamaica and go to Africa because we're clearly not welcome. Mm. But what's happened in the last 50 years is we've started to believe that we are welcome, that we're British, that we're Jamaican, that we're these identities which can only ever um, suppress us. And so many of us, myself included until re- really recently, and even friends I have discussions with very often, um, think that the system is worth reforming. Yeah. Or that that's where their energies are best mm-hmm. placed. Um, and now more than ever, I'm, I'm so convinced that that's not true. Yeah, well, why? Why are you convinced it's not true? Because I've been within those spaces. But it also, it's the historical context, right? It's, it's understanding really fully and this is this probably speaks to why um the united negro association uh, united uh, universal negro improvement the association. universal negro improvement association led by marcus garvey mm-hmm. is perhaps why it was able to get five million members because perhaps they were so much closer to the um the end of slavery they were in the middle of jim crow um they were being segregated yeah. like they they were it was so clear to them whereas now we're kind of a, a little bit passive we're yeah. kind of within the system and as you said we're we're collecting our trinkets and we're a bit more sedated that malcolm x house negro field negro is really important because that's basically what he's saying he's saying the problem with the house negro isn't that they're middle class it's that they don't understand the oppression that, you know, they think, you know, where am I going to get better clothes than this? Where am I going to get a better house than this? Where am I, this, is, this is as good as it gets. So therefore, mm. why would I want to run away? And why would I want to do anything different? I'm going to stay and try and build this this space. But it's the people who are really oppressed in the field who understand that this just cannot. In the same way that a chicken can never lay a duck egg, <laughs> this system can never yeah. provide freedom, Malcolm justice, and equality. Bell Hook says they have had only a slave's idea of freedom. And to the slave, the master's way of life represents the ideal free lifestyle. Exactly. I mean, it's this kind of stuff. It's this kind of stuff that stirs the black radical within me because I don't mm. want to be a house negro. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be a slave, <laughs> right? I want to help overturn the system. Yeah. But I think that idea, mm. as you said, they had ideas and they were doing things that we can't imagine today. And so the idea that we might overturn the Western system, mm. that we might kind of wake up to the fact that we are now part of the system that is oppressing our black siblings around yeah. the world. It's so big. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where the hell do we start? Uh, yeah, I mean, that is the problem. It is. It does, it can put people off and sound really depressing, right? I mean, that's not supposed to be the case at all. Uh, the lesson of all these movements, if you look at the Garvey movement, if you look at the Panthers, um, it's you have to start where you are, right? You have to recognize that this is the situation that we're in. I can, we cannot overthrow capitalism today, uh, but it's a global, it's a long-term project that starts in our local community. I mean, the thing that got the Black Panther Party notoriety was they put a stop sign up on a busy street in Oakland. 
And that's what that's the first thing that their first success. And it's those kind of little things which then build into big things. So it's not about getting lost in that, it's about using the big argument but focusing also on the small as well. Now we maintain that in the past six years or so, this country has been feeding us a thalatomide drug of integration and that some Negroes have been walking down a dream street talking about sitting next to white people and that that does not begin to solve the problem. That when we went to Mississippi, we did not go to sit next to Ross Barnett. We did not go to sit next to Jim Clark. We went to get them out of our way. And that people ought to understand that. That we were never fighting for the right to integrate. We were fighting against white supremacy. So I'm having lots of conversations with friends about black versus African. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that you can help me um, unpack this. Um, because on one hand, you've got people who are saying that black has been created in opposition mm. to whiteness. And so therefore, we should kind of get rid of the black designation mm. altogether, the black identity mm. altogether, and kind of reclaim some Africanness, which... I disagree with to mm -hmm. put it out there, <laughs> yeah. um, and then there's other people like yeah. me who think that, and and like you, and mm -hmm. who think that black is um, is an identity. It is a an ideology. It is a political yeah. essentialism. Yeah. Um, what is wrong? Because I'm biased, right? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and I believe the African <laughs> argument is incorrect. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me what is wrong with the African argument. Help me pick, help me unpack uh, it. Generally speaking, is cultural nationalism. So there's a whole chapter in the book on cultural nationalism. Um, and it's also ahistorical. So actually, nobody could really knows 100% where the term Africa comes from, but most likely Africa is a European concept, a European, it's actually a European etymology of Africa. And it's actually a way that Europeans see Africa as one place, right? Um, Leo Africanus, uh, who, was, um, who actually was black um, in the Roman Empire, that's probably where it came from, although we're not 100% sure, right? But even if it's not, even if it is generally an African term, this isn't really the point. The point is, what does... African mean now? What does it mean when we say African? Now, obviously, I say I'm black, I mean Africa. African diaspora is hugely important in that, of course it is. But Africa is a place, it is not a politics. So if you go to Africa, it's, it's right, it sounds political for us in the diaspora to say I'm an African, because that means I, you know, my, I'm not ashamed of my roots. But if you're in Africa, which most black people are, that's not political. That's just like, it's just a description. Right, I'm in Africa, right? Right, right, right? And that's why it just doesn't really have any utility for us. Well, because there's no political ideology attached to saying no. you're African outside of Africa other than to say I'm not from here. Yeah, which is important. And then mm. I, have to, I have to underpin the blackness is underpinned by the connection to Africa. So it's, it's, it's implicit in a sense. Now, the people that don't like the term black clearly do not understand the history and the politics of the word. I mean, this is really important. Black isn't a creation of Europe. Blackness is not a creation of, of racism. So this is where I explain in the book and race is this European concept which is about hierarchy, it's about blood, it's about we're not we're they're superior to us, etc, etc, etc. Blackness is not that. And actually most of the academic literature, like the vast probably 90% of it, treats race and blackness as the same thing. Right? It's the mm, same root. Right. It's, it's not true. Blackness is actually a rejection of race. So for and this is the best way to explain it is in the slave ship. So the, so they bring us together because they say we're Negroes. We're not really people. They take mix us up in tribes so we can't speak together, and they throw us on a slave ship. Right? Now we all sit there. We're there, right? We're we're not passive in this. We're all there together, and maybe we haven't thought of ourselves as being black together before, obviously because we were probably fighting each other <laughs> during different tribes. Right? Never thought of it, right? But now we're here, and we've got racism. We've got this. We've got slavery, and we look around and say, "Hang on a second, we're connected. We have to unify." We need to come together and overthrow this. That's blackness. And we call it blackness, and that's our concept. And that is a rejection of, of race, of whiteness. It's not the same thing. It may, in some senses, it comes in opposition, but that does not mean it's a, the same thing. It's a very different concept. Yeah, well, because if we're talking about African or black, we're still claiming something in relation to whiteness, though, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, and that's the other thing. So I've, I've sat around tables with people who are African. Who would never say black, only say African, 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 African. Sometimes tell me after saying black. And we're having this conversation about Pan-Africanism. We have a pan we wanted to have a Pan-African conference, and it was like, well, do you do you get the Arabs to come in or not? Or do you? And then they ended up having to say black. 
Because they were like, when we're in Africa, who do you mean? I mean, we mean, we mean black people in Africa. Because you've got loads of people who aren't black in Africa. You've got whites and Africans. Mm-hmm. You've got mm-hmm. Arab Africans. You've got Indian Africans. You've got loads of people. Right, right. Africans, it's like I said, it's a place. It's not a politics or an ideology. Blackness is a politics. It's a radical politics. It's a politics of connection. It's a politics of overthrow. It's, that's the politics we need to get back to. Mm-hmm. I have no problem with saying I'm African. Of course I have. I just, it's when you dismiss the politics of blackness, you've just done something wrong. Yeah. Right. Well, I had this conversation just yesterday. I was at visiting the Africa Center, and I said to my friend, who is on the other side, who believes that um, he doesn't use the, the identifier black, mm-hmm. um, and I said, but aren't the nation states within Africa, weren't they drafted by white people? So where would I say I'm from, right? So <laughs> as like a 10th generation African-American, <laughs> you know, we did a, my family and I did a 23andMe, okay. and I'm 45% African, okay. right? But it is literally an amalgam of every country on the slave coast. <laughs> it is Senegal, Cameroon, Ghana, Nigeria, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Benin, e- everyone, yeah. everywhere. And so where would I say I'm from, yeah. right? Like, I, but I also have no, no concrete connection to those, those, those places either. So I take great issue with this Africa v. Black. Yeah, it's not a V. I don't understand how it, Honestly, I don't understand how it's a V. Like, for me, Black and Africa, they're so related. It's not... Oh, it's both it's, and. It's, it's, and it's the... My problem is when you reject Black, you are doing something particular, which is one, you tend to be freezing Africa as a particular place which has the solutions to our problems, which is absolutely nonsense. Africa's just, <laughs> black people in Africa do just as bad as black people in Europe. <laughs> in fact, in many ways, do worse. Right, right, <laughs> are, okay. right? Um, And that's really important, right? There's no solution. Our, our solution does not exist by either going back to what Africa used to be or going to Africa now as it is, because it's terrible. Right. What do you think about Afrofuturism? It's one of those things, it's not, everybody likes to uh, dream, but it doesn't really get you very far, right. <laughs> does it, I think? It's escapist. Yeah, no, it is. It's escapist. Right? But I mean, yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, I don't think there's a, there's a right answer. I, I mean, I like Afrofuturism in that it, it's just like, you know, Black Panther. Yeah. But I posit that with the only reason Black Panther was so wildly successful mm. is that Killmonger didn't win and oh, yeah. didn't massacre, massacre loads of white folks. <laughs> yeah. That's the only reason the movie worked. <laughs> <laughs> well, it worked because it's a completely white concept. I mean, gee, don't get me started on Black Panther. No, please, uh, let's geez, do it. Black man. Because you kicked maybe. the beehive. So let's I know, yeah, so let me just go through all the... Let's kick the, the Wakanda, <laughs> yeah. the Wakanda That's what black people would hate me. That's the irony. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I, I did write a piece uh, for Make It Plain, uh, which is a Harambee organization of Black Unity blog, uh, called Black Mask White Movie. If you actually look at the ideology of that movie, Terrible, my days. I mean, if Wakanda actually existed, you wouldn't be celebrated. You'd want to burn the place down, right? A place somewhere in Africa that has the resources, has the power that could have stopped slavery, could have stopped colonialism, could stop three million children dying every year for no good reason, and just kind of sits there and goes, eh, we're going to hide. <laughs> I mean, that's that's ooh, that's like the worst stereotype of Africans. That we don't really care. That we're not really. We don't really have any connection to each other. It could never happen. So that concept of Wakanda for me is just appalling to begin with interesting uh, then you start to look at it's the most few, so it's got the most technology but it's political system is so backwards that it allows two men fighting to decide the whole future of the I mean, I mean, of all the stuff about gender repetition oh, on the mind completely <laughs> by the fact that yeah. two men fight this guy comes off the street and then because he beats up um, <laughs> the, the king he's there the king yeah. and everybody goes oh, okay that's crazy <laughs> we, not, we couldn't create a proper political system I mean that, that's right that's, I actually was deeply offended at that point really I mean really offended at that point and then it gets even worse so after Killmonger takes over and some of the women are like okay we need to What's the solution? They just go and find a bigger black man. They go after the... Um, right, right. <laughs> and you fight him. Maybe you could be a wicked crazy. No, man. No. That feels terrible. Yeah, actually, I, I'm going to be honest. I haven't thought about the patriarchal nature of that movie very much, actually, which probably shows yeah. I'm showing my gender. Yeah. But it was hey, it was, it was entertaining book. Well, and I think that what it did... I remember I was in the um, cinema watching it and was looking at these little black boys a couple seats mm-hmm. over who just watch the whole thing so wide-eyed, right? Because okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. they obviously aren't aware of the politics <laughs> yeah. of it, but rather they see someone on stage and indeed a people um, who look like them. Yeah. Um, and I think that it was powerful in that. Remember, I called my mom afterwards. She's a white woman. 
and I felt so empowered, okay. right? Because from a very um, surface yeah. level, um, one-time viewing of the film, yeah. I was like, this is everything we can be, right? <laughs> and my mom was like, well, that's how white men feel all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. I know. Yeah, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not for it. I, I get that it was... But uh, no, and the representation of Killmonger was so... It's just that typical... I did say this though a few days later. I was like, of course, the African American man still had to die at the end. <laughs> yeah, well, there is that as well. And <laughs> he then, still had to die. And that, and this, and the, and the worst thing from a radical perspective is how it represents radicalism. So, radicalism and extremism are two totally different things. Ex- but do you think Killmonger was extreme or radical? He was an extremist. He was right. an extremist. I mean, he had the general principle right that there's something wrong here. We need to, we need to change it. But then he wants to go kill everybody, and there's no proper plan to it. That's extremism. Radicalism would be to say, yeah, we want to end the West, but we're going to do this through a revolutionary process that everybody would be, yeah, that's a good idea, right? But that couldn't possibly be represented in the movie. He has to be a killer, he has to be this, which is is just how, well, it's a Marvel movie. I mean, that's what they do generally. It's It's a white movie, like, it really is. It was basically like a live action version of The Lion King, effectively. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, was made, it was made by Disney. And it was, and I was giving $700 million to it is reverse reparations. I mean, that is basically what we did with that movie. But I enjoyed it. I'd, I'd watch it again. <laughs> and, and I see why people liked it. But <coughs> I'm, I still criticize Madonna for reading for Vogue, but I still listen to it all the time. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think this does lead us on quite well to where black radicalism in the past has fallen down. Yeah. Because you're you're calling us back to black mm-hmm. radicalism of the past. Mm-hmm. But in reading about black radicalism, yeah. um, and, and you do address this, though I don't think you go far enough mm-hmm. in the book, the leaders of the black radical <coughs> movement mm-hmm. were homophobic and well, misogynistic. I mean, Amiri Baraka. Yeah, but this is what I'm trying to do. <laughs> for, for me, Amiri Baraka's not, not, I'm not radical, so he wouldn't, wouldn't care. I mean, once you start to, and I think this is one of the things I try, try to do in the book is to say that many of the things you think are black radicalism really, really, really aren't. And Amir Baraka is what I'd call a cultural nationalist, which is, you know, Africa is the solution and you do that. That's not, there's, there's no, just take them people out and you start to find that there's, right. there's, it's a much more inclusive movement. Although it's not perfect, I must say. Yeah, of course, because, you know, and this is, this is why I wanted to bring this up, right? Because I, I read your book. Mm. And I felt it was a bit apologist, mm-hmm. right? We were apologizing that Malcolm X and others were working towards a black patriarchy, mm-hmm. right? Because they did believe, perhaps as men of their time, that <coughs> there was a certain role for women within the movement. And you, and you do address this in the book. And I was quite curious mm-hmm. to see, well, what do black women think of <laughs> these men? Yeah. And actually their erasure in scholarship, mm-hmm. but from kind of a wider context yeah, around yeah. the black radical movement, and which led me to Bell Hooks. Yeah. And so I thought that it was worth bringing up because I went to go find information somewhere else. Yeah. And so I think that if we are to reimagine this black radicalism for the 21st century, part of that yeah. has to be reckoning with yeah. the faults of the people who led that movement. Yeah. No, no, but I just think we need to identify who the people that led that movement were. Right. Correct. So let's do that. So define who you think the black radicals are. <laughs> uh, well, Malcolm, we'll start with Malcolm. Malcolm X. And, uh, Malcolm's course. interesting because this is the, the actually the bit of the paper I'm writing about Malcolm, the social theory of Malcolm X right now, is on gender, right? So Malcolm definitely, I mean, he's in the Nation of Islam. The Nation of Islam mm-hmm. isn't in the radical tradition at all. And that is a very patriarchal, very cultural nationalist organization. And Malcolm was in the organization for 11 years. He clearly espoused those beliefs, et cetera, et cetera, and it's problematic, and there's lots of quotes that could give you of Malcolm's misogyny. Now, I also always very wary of saying Malcolm radically changed after he left the nation, because he didn't really radically change. He just he evolved throughout. Mm. But on the issue of gender, he actually did change quite a lot. right? So when he leaves, you can start to see him saying, actually, women are important in the movement. Uh, the organization of Afro-American Unity had two chairs while Malcolm was alive. Uh, both of them were, were black women. And this is partly what we've done is we've kind of narrated women out. So right. people talk about the OAAU and talk about Malcolm X, oh, Malcolm hated women. But don't mention the fact that Lynn Shiflett was the chair of the OAAU while Malcolm was alive. Right. We've written around. He didn't write around. She was right there. Right, right. right. Okay. <laughs> and we've done the same thing. We've done the Black Panthers, I'd say. Definitely. Black Panther Party is problematic in many ways. Many, many ways. It was patriarchal in many ways and misogynistic in many ways. But the Black Panther Party was also 60% female. Also had, um, Elaine Brown was the leader of the party. Um, also had a statement on um, 
black gay and les- uh, gay, gay and lesbian liberation, which at the time is way ahead, right? It's not perfect in any means, mm. but there were many, many, many women in the in the Panther Party who we've kind of just said, oh, well, they weren't that important, right? And it's the same for the Gavi movement. The Gavi's ideology isn't really radical, but the being able to bring together that many people and Africa for the Africans, I think it would have become radical had it carried on. But it gets closed down very quickly, right? right. Oh, because it what started <laughs> off as quite radical and therefore was well. It kind of started off more not radical because Gaddafi's idea is probably out that radical. But when you have an organization that has five million people that wants to liberate Africa, that and and this is part of what we do with the Gar- with all these movements actually is we give far too much power to the men at the top of them. So the right. Gaddafi was five million people. Like Gaddafi had very little to do with a lot of the movement, and of those five million people, again, the majority of them are women. Um, Amy Jake's Garvey is probably more important than Marcus Garvey in terms of the organization and definitely the memory of the movement because it's Amy Jake's that creates everything and writes everything down. So in many ways when I say Garvey, actually, I actually don't just mean it. I don't just mean Marcus Garvey, I mean Amy Jake's and Amy Ashwood Garvey as well. I'm not saying there weren't problems with misogyny, they definitely were and mm. they were patriarchally organized. But there are also millions of black women involved in these movements and it's about us recognizing that rather than, I think we have a tendency because we have a tendency to look back and say, oh, this is patriarchal, we have a tendency to write them out ourselves without actually saying, well, actually, what were they been doing? What, what, how were they involved? I see what you're saying. Yeah, because we've also been trained not to look for women. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Because Bell Hooks says, from their writings and speeches, it is clear that most black political activists of the 60s saw the black liberation movement as a move to gain recognition and support for an emerging black patriarchy. How would you respond to that? Uh, most probably no. I think that's fair. But my, my, my argument here is that black radicalism isn't the most. It's the it's the okay. So we have to separate <laughs> yeah. the black liberation movement from black radicalism. Yeah. I, I think that's really important. One of the things we do is we just conflate everything together. Right. right everything right. becomes so. For example, <coughs> Amiri Baraka, Maliwana, Karenga, Afrocentrism. None of that's right. No, it's even remotely radical. The Nation of Islam. We just take that completely. Take that. Right. There's some figures in the. In the pan- and even the Panthers. So I say the Panthers are like there's lots of different Black Panthers. Um, Eldridge Cleaver is often there's a, there's a book, Black Macho and the Myth of the Black Superwoman yes. by um, Michelle Wallace, right. and you know it focuses on Eldridge Cleaver. How terrible is Eldridge Cleaver? Eldridge Cleaver is terrible. Yeah, Eldridge Cleaver is terrible. Eldridge Cleaver also wasn't radical either. <laughs> we take it back. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? right. It's easy. To, you can, it's easy to find people to criticize, but oftentimes you find they're not. They're, I I don't know anybody who defend them as being as part of the tradition. If we narrow down the tradition, we'll find there's still problems. It, like Malcolm's problems but it's is, is it structurally problematic that's the question is it, are the ideas can they be adapted changed evolved to include a broader view so for example there's a quote from Malcolm where he talks about blackness and Malcolm always says he 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 right yeah, yeah, he, yeah. right and so he says um, there's a new kind of negro on the scene who calls himself black he that's makes right. no apologies for his black skin yeah. now I'm sure Malcolm when he said it probably was talking about men right yeah. but can we is that structurally gendered or can we ungender it by changing the phraseology there's a new kind of negro who calls themselves black who makes no apologies for their black skin yeah that's it's the right. same meaning right we just we just got to evolve it and change it rather than say look that's terrible we'll get it it's, it's patriarchal that's i guess that's not i think there's a generation of us who haven't seen ourselves or our experiences accounted for yeah. and therefore very prone just to write people off yeah. right so and i think part of retelling that black radicalism is to is to A, clearly define what constitutes black radicalism, (laughs) then to divorce the ideology from the man, Mm -hmm. namely, who who, who was foregrounded, (laughs) Um, and then to examine how black radicalism applies in the 21st century. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that's that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying any of these ideas are perfect, but I am saying, I am making the argument, there is a black radical political ideology that goes through Malcolm to some extent Garvey, goes back to slave rebellion, etc. etc. It's hundreds of years of old, um, which is the basis of a radical politics that embraces all black people, whether you're old, young, man, woman, straight, queer, it's there. Now we have to work on that because no politics is ever I mean this is this is what really gets me, it's like people think there's a politics that just exists and you just go to that politics. Right. And there's <laughs> yeah. no, there's yeah. this. All politics evolve, ideas evolve. And what I'm saying is there's a basis in black radicalism that we can use to evolve and to change and to move on and to push forward. I mean, that's another thing. When you talk about a revolution, most people think violence um, without realizing that the real content of any kind of revolutionary thrust lies in the, in, in the principles and the goals that you're striving for, not in the way you reach them. 
before we move on, this again, this is from my favorite chapter, mm. um, Blackness. And this is the only, I wrote flimsy here. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, <fair enough. laughs> so you, you said it would be wrong to assume that because black radicalism has not explicitly centered LGBTQ issues, mm. it excludes those who are not heterosexual. When Africans were enslaved or areas colonized, they didn't separate out the black population by sexuality. People of all sexualities and gender identities were both recreated as Negroes and rose up to resist, whether in slave rebellions, anti-colonial struggles, or in post-war movements. They don't hang you because you're Baptist, said Malcolm, they hang you because you're black. As the police killings in America demonstrate, being gay or transgender is not protection from police bullets. Now, I don't think anybody's arguing that being (laughs) transgender or black is protection from Mm -hmm. police bullets. And I think actually that argument sounds very apologist to me. Right, that just because we didn't say your name doesn't mean you don't count. <laughs> when actually, when we're talking about visibility and representation, yeah. the exclusion of people within spaces and within movements is what we're reckoning with now. And yeah. indeed, if we're going to call ourselves back to black radicalism, mm-hmm. we have to be able to point at that and to say, actually, we were excluded either by virtue of yeah. a patriarchal system, mm-hmm. which these black men ascribe to, yeah. or the misogyny within a movement, yeah. right? Or the misogyny of the decades after that is that has seen us erase black women from the movement of our own volition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was the only bit of the book that I took issue with that I thought was quite flimsy. Yeah, no, it's fair enough. And I, <laughs> I think the point, a point I was trying to make there was yeah, I, again, I would never say that there hasn't yet. Yeah, so at least the practice of this politics has been hugely problematic in many ways. What I'm trying to separate is the practice from the ideology. And actually the ideology of the politics. So when Ma- so for example, oh. Malcolm talks about when Malcolm talks about the black nation. So Malcolm doesn't really talk about men very often. He just talks about racism. He talks about the structure. He talks about overcoming colonialism. If that doesn't I mean if if you're gay or if you're a woman and that doesn't resonate with you, then I think that's a problem personally. Because these are issues which affect all of us. Right. right? They they affect you no matter what. Right. And we are in the same boat in many ways in the, in that sense, right? There are differences and they're de- they need to be addressed. But I guess that's the point I'm trying to get. Yeah. I don't understand that anybody reads Malcolm and, and it doesn't hit them. Doesn't get doesn't get doesn't no, grab them. Well, yeah, they get the, and that for me is a starting point. And yes, we have to acknowledge there's been huge problems and there still are huge problems in how people are included. My point is that the blackness is like a it's like a party where you bring your own meal. Like blackness is the table, but we ain't bringing the food. You gotta bring your own food to the table, right? Okay. And then it's by doing that work that we then create and build, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Okay. And what, one of the things I'm trying to push against is that I guess what's the best way to put this? Sometimes I see people putting up barriers that don't have to be there. Right? If we say we're doing black politics Understood. and everybody's invited and you turn around and say, oh, well, black, that must be, that must be anti-queer. Yeah, because oh, in 1963, you're welcome yeah. to go, but, you know, but there's, there's, there's a barrier which, which is how we're understanding it. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Okay. It's definitely no, not perfect. That. Definitely not perfect. Anyway. I get that. Yeah. Well, that makes more other things <coughs> I highlighted make more sense, yeah. right? There can be no exclusions in what unites us in our blackness. Which you wrote later. I mean, that's the theory of it, right? That's in theory, yeah. and I get it. I, I would definitely recognize it in practice. Well, I wrote, <laughs> I wrote here, who <laughs> is he speaking to? <laughs> right? Because I think queer black people, and just a page earlier, you mentioned Alicia Garza, mm-hmm. uh, Patrice Ken Cullors, and Opal Tometi, you know, yeah. the three founders of the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and actually, I think they <coughs> are testament to yeah. that actually a black radicalism is probably a black feminist radicalism mm. right um, and that queer women of color have perhaps always been the most mm. um, <laughs> the best at it at creating movements that, that account for everybody but it, it makes the rest of it make sense yeah I guess that's the point and, I, and to be honest this is the bit which I'm developing the most subsequently the rest of it is, is what it is but yeah. that's the bit that needs the most work I, I, I can acknowledge that so. no I think it is for all of us right I'm actually really glad that yeah. the book made me go seek out answers somewhere else because yeah. I hadn't read Bell Hooks okay. until um, I went to go find what <laughs> okay. she would have to say yeah, about yeah. it and uh, read Ain't I a Woman, ah, okay, yeah. which excellent book. It, <laughs> it is transformative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I went into this really deep mind spiral and I was like, what kind of black man am I? <laughs> right, like, shit. <laughs> and, and, uh, and obviously because there are so many... Um, parallels between misogyny, sexism, and homophobia, right? And the attitudes we have towards trans people and homosexuality and people who are different than (laughs) us is because the entire system is designed for us to think like that. (laughs) Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's kick the beehive. Okay, be sure. 
I'm sure, because I am part of the VA. Okay. <laughs> so I wrote down, there's something incongruous about lionizing men of the past and calling out Beyonce for reinforcing a trope about a role of women in the struggle. I think it's a double standard. I think you, What do you mean? So you, there's a leniency you lend to these men that you don't extend to Beyonce. Really? I think some of the people I criticize are most women. I mean, some of the, I got this, I'm going to get in real trouble for that cultural nationalism chapter where I just tore apart Afrocentrism. Yeah. I think I was pretty. I think I was pretty mean on the men as well. Okay, I didn't get it. I didn't feel <laughs> really? it. Yeah, but because I think that what Beyonce represents is inspiration, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? And so I guess my point is, does it matter how we are introduced to black radicalism, right? So if Beyonce dons Black Panther getup and fishnet tights, and a generation of black people start digging into the Black Panthers, mm-hmm. isn't that good? Yeah, I mean that's not a bad thing, right? And I also, I say I'm not really criticizing Beyonce. I don't really like Beyonce is Beyonce. Like whatever. I watched that. Uh, performance live and had absolutely no reaction to it whatsoever because that's Beyonce she wants to do what she does I don't I really it doesn't really matter to me the what the that bit's more about is about the reaction to Beyonce where we start highlighting it as being this revolutionary this radical thing which it just I mean just wasn't it's a Super Bowl it's commercial she made lots of money out of it sold in the sponsors and it didn't and it and it, and it built on tropes really long standing tropes about black women in the movement the sexualization it's that the foxy brown role I mean it, mm. it really was probably in that sense but if she just done it and nobody said anything I wouldn't have had any problem with it it was more the reaction more the reaction to it than Beyonce I think what you're calling us to do is <laughs> keep casting a critical eye yeah no I mean just 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 be critical and also I think I mean there have been when I think about black women and who've really done different things in terms of music you about someone like Nina Simone I mean there's just no comparison I mean Nina Simone put a career on the line had to leave America was getting death threats etc etc didn't make that much money out of her career over that. That's that's really risking things. Beyonce at that point ain't, ain't risky. She's, right. she's at the top. I mean, and fair again, I'm not really criticizing it. It's more of our reaction. Even someone like uh, Rita Franklin, who sounds like he's gonna, she's gonna pass away. She did. She passed. Oh, she passed away. Is she, she did. Oh, I didn't this even know. How oh, was it? Um, she her story. They don't talk about that that, that much, but she was actually supporting the Black Panther Party. Uh, bailed out Rita Franklin, um, Angela Davis, Davis yeah. at the time. Um, I think there's there's. There's far better figures we could we could, we could hold up as being these these uh, examples. Yeah, and, and you know what? As I admit that as someone as someone who's part of the beehive, <laughs> it's a hard pill to swallow. Um, and but I think but I think we also have to remember that there is so much connected to Beyonce beyond blackness. Yeah. Right, and that you know. I know that the, this is true for many young queer boys, mm-hmm. Destiny's Child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I remember being in my room and feeling so alone and listening to okay. Beyonce sing and feeling like everything was okay. And so when you kick the beehive, <laughs> yeah, you can yeah, literally no. say anything, and it's because there's, there's this deep emotional <laughs> connection to this woman who's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. shown us who we can be. And I think we need more of that, right? Because I think what we, are t- what we are experiencing at the moment, it feels like a reawakening. Okay. I don't know. You tell me. In that, I mean, because you've just launched the Black Studies degree yeah. mm-hmm. at Birmingham, and could that have been launched any time before now? No, I say it's lucky we could launch that. <laughs> to be honest, it's mostly the circumstances that happen now. Right. Um, no, no, we definitely are. But I think that's it's important also that then we are critical because we had massive social movements and if well. From my perspective, we went the wrong way, right? So this right. is important that we don't go Beyonce's carrying on the wrong way. And um, <laughs> I would, <laughs> I think the way we think about Beyonce is a tricky. I don't know if Beyonce herself. No, um, no she won't be. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, yeah, that, that, that was the point for the Beyonce. And again, and I think also I want to point out that just because something's not radical doesn't mean it's not good. So in, in the way that you say, well, look, Beyonce representing right. it's better that she did that and she did something else. Of course, it is. It's better that we're having a conversation about Black Lives Matter and the police, and then we're talking about something else. This is not a bad thing. Is it a radical thing? No. Right. Both and. Both <laughs> yeah, and. Both and. Yeah. No, I like I think because yeah. I think both and is, is important because I don't think we do enough of that. Yeah. Whether it's our emotions or our politics, our beliefs, it's often a case of both and. Yeah, I and, I, and there's many things which I'd support, like, so. Stormzy today actually was Stormzy mm-hmm. the other day. I mean, look, Shout it's a good thing. Stormzy. Yeah, if you want to give money to black people to go to Cambridge, it's a good thing. I'm not going. It's not radical, but it's not radical, right? If everybody came out and said, "Oh, this is very radical," I'd be the same way. Like, right. that's not radical, but it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. I think that's important to, to keep in mind. I have nothing actually against Beyonce. If it no, seems like could. I do, I really don't. Yeah. <laughs> also, don't come in here. That's just the trouble. Washing the windows. Just plain rotten, too slow. We're too damn lazy, too slow. 
My understanding of black radicalism is that it's something we must live and embody and believe in. Um, one of my favorite passages in the book is this. There's actually two, I'll read you. Um, when black people are viewed as a colonized minority, it necessitates a transformation rather than reform of the societies in which we reside. Mm-hmm. That set me on fire. Did it? Why? <laughs> Why? Because I think there's so much in that one sentence mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that is instructive. And I think that the society as a whole, you know, earlier we were talking about how this seems so big, okay. right? This idea that we might overturn the Western system, yeah. that capitalism, capitalism might come crashing down because of black radicalism. And that feels very big. But actually, in that statement, I'm reminded that and again, this links to your earlier comment, that so much of what we do is in the community is with us. And that, you know, me working with an all-white media organization to Mm. carve out space for a couple black folks isn't radical. Like, Mm. it's not enough. It's only kind of me subscribing to the system Mm. and in some ways validating the system Mm -hmm. by saying that it's okay, we're happy being little house Negroes in this this tiny space, in this broom cupboard. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> under the <laughs> stairs and so that's one of my favorite passages because okay. I think it's important for us to remember that that yeah. you can keep on screaming at Massa it doesn't mean he's going to do anything for you oh, we've been on the right side of the argument for 500 years it's not got us anywhere right, right. <laughs> I mean, and I think that's really the book I'm uh, writing next is The West is Built on Racism and actually understanding that, the way, that racism you can't separate racism from capitalism it's impossible there's no way to imagine this system that isn't racist and so once you understand that, then you have to do something else, right? You have to have revolution because we can never have freedom in this system. Fine. So then what do we do? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, hopefully the book came across as sort of not practical, but gave a, a sort of blueprint. Is that So Garvey's model is the way. Malcolm's politics is the ideology, if you like. Okay. Um, and that is that we need to build an organization that transcends a nation state. So it can't be a nation. can't be national. It's not national thing doesn't, doesn't work right so, so it can't be national can't be national so the way the UNA was universal and they had 50 countries and it was across the globe that's what we need to do we need to build an organization that's grassroots not top down because not forget the leaders forget the nations forget that bottom up where people join they're part of it they pay into it uh, it's local as well as it's national so we do the things in Birmingham that we need to do and we do things in Kinshasa that we need to do but we're also connected across across the globe and effectively if you build that organization the way that the organization works the organization Afro-American Unity which is what Malcolm was starting when he died um, and when I say even, even that it's not just Malcolm like, it's Malcolm and like seven other people right. half of them women and it, it's a much bigger story about that whole organization as well but if you build that imagine if you had that organization that had chapters across the, across the world that said uh, we have a program for education a program for health a program for whatever and we've got money and resources well if you actually do that then you know what you need the nation state for that's, you, that's, that's the goal that's what we should be trying to build in the next 50 years mm-hmm. that's not something that happens overnight but that should be where we're aiming towards and this is where I think it's really important to understand that the only way to do this is through the process of doing it like you're not going to sit down and say to somebody oh let's build this massive organisation no one's going to that's, that's, that's crazy but if you do the work and predict, connect it together you'll find automatically that everything's changed you've just changed the way that everything's organised you've changed the way that everything's facilitated you've given yourself a, put yourself in a position uh, to do things very, 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 very differently. And that's the key, I think. Mm. It, your book made me think about busy being black mm-hmm. and about how, because my goal for busy being black is to create a global media platform mm-hmm. for the celebration of black people. Okay. <laughs> right, because I don't think it exists in any substantive way, <laughs> no. right? That speaks to the global diaspora, mm-hmm. right? And the activism, the arts, the culture, the creativity, yeah. um, which in itself might not be radical, right? Because I think that you say that culture isn't necessarily radical. But it can be, though. though it's not, right. It's not not radical. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you can read me. It's okay. It's, it's my show. <laughs> but that's my question. That's what we think of. It's like, okay, so it can't be financed by white people, right? No, it no. can't have sign-off from another you know it can't be an, it can't be part of like BET mm-hmm. is owned by Viacom yeah, 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 yeah. and we've seen what BET is putting out yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> shit <laughs> but no it has to be fund- it has to be funded by us but that doesn't mean you can't take funds so we have the Harambe organization of Black Unity which we don't we've never actually we've never had any funds from anything other than membership and selling things and something like that but um, we want to start a people referral unit people referral unit is funded by the state that's white money right Right. Why would you turn down money? If, it's a good, if it's, you can get money to do something, you go ahead and do that. Well, because there's normally um, things attached to that money. Well, yeah. 
<laughs> that's why I think you can you can accept money for things which aren't the core operation of your platform. So like you saying, there's this project we're gonna do, yeah, take the money, whatever. But generally speaking, it needs to be it has to be independent. If it's not independent, it's not. Whoever owns, whoever pays for it, really owns it. That, that's that, right. That's the reality of it, unfortunately. So how do we? It's not like we don't have money. We have money. And we'd even better place starting a religion. I always say you better place. We started a religion. Yeah, those people have flocked in and given ten percent of their wealth in it. Yeah. We're plenty of money. We're just putting it in the rug. Well, and there's places. more black people on earth than white people, I imagine. Yeah, you had them all up. So yeah, but the global media that's in fact one of the things that we say is that's important, right? Mm. But I think the, the key thing is just the politics behind it. That's that's what distinguishes someone that's radical or not radical. Is it just about celebrating it or is it actually about using that to do something to do something pro- to, to change no, things for sure, to, you exactly. Know it has to, yeah. I want busy people like to be something that changes the world. Yeah, but the difference between black people and white people is that white people don't have any limit to their imagination. They will say, look, we have this crazy idea, and then they'll set a plan in to do it, and then they'll go ahead and do it. So, like, the European Union is the best example, which was <laughs> the idea, like, after the Second World War. I mean, they just killed, like, millions of people dead, whole economy's trashed, and people sit down and say, oh, yeah, yeah you know, we could come together, peaceful in Europe forever, blah, blah, blah. And then, guess what, 70 years later, not only is there peace, Germany's the... I mean, if you told somebody that the average British person that Germany will be leading this peaceful European project, <laughs> they'd have slapped you in the face. <laughs> right? I've been having a hard time with it. Well, yeah. <laughs> and our problems are nowhere near that bad. Jeez, we yeah. don't have problems like that. But we can't imagine building an organisation that we were part of and give to... Because it's to see... For some reason, we have a... I guess that's colonialism and racism. Oh, it is. So I mean, you saw the, you, you saw, probably saw the diaspora wars on Twitter a couple weeks ago. yeah. And I was just watching it going, no, <laughs> no, stop, just stop, just stop. <laughs> just stop. <laughs> but yeah, so no, I think long-term plan is really important and politics is really important because to be fair, you could do Harambee organization, Black Unity in a way that's very, very, very not what I'm talking about, right? Uh, we start a people referral unit, people in Birmingham and the UK put some money in. We start doing programs that get people to go to Cambridge or et cetera, et cetera. And it just, in, it gets us even more in the house. Jeez, yeah, you're you, just you finally it, right? black people into the system. Um, which is why the politics is really important. Mm. Um, and why the international connections are really important as well. Well then, so how do you feel about historically black colleges and universities? Mostly tend to just replicate white universities in a way that's worse than most white universities. Right? That's my experience of them. Uh, there was a picture with all the heads went to meet Trump. Uh, when he went to Baseline. Um, wasn't that the Black Caucus, though? No, it wasn't the Black Caucus did that, too, but they're all the, <laughs> <laughs> the leaders of the... You know, the leaders of Uncle the Tom's. HBCUs... <laughs> hey, oh, Jesus, that's a whole other story. No, the leaders of the uh, H, uh, HBCUs were invited oh. uh, to the White House, and, oh, I talk about it, we're going to invest in it, and they all went along, and they had these pictures, like, what's wrong with you? Mm. Like, why? No. I <laughs> you think just say no, right? If basketball players know that you don't go to the White House, right, I don't right. know how to beautiful. I think stuff. we all know. I think I, I, this might be presumptuous, but I think there's something within each of us well, each of us who's relatively awake, yeah. who knows what black radicalism is, yeah. right? I think it's at our core. Yeah, hopefully. I, I, I do think that there was a, uh, I keep giving Malcolm, it's like, I only have Malcolm quotes, but um, mm. he does say there's a, this word revolutionary has been misused. I think that is what one of the points of the book, which was to provoke, is actually a lot of these things aren't, maybe we use the word a bit too much. Uh, maybe we have to go back to really strip it back. What does that really mean to be radical, to be revolutionary? Which isn't that many things. Like, it's a few things. And if I'm honest, my practice is mostly not radical. Right. Which is ironic, given I wrote the book. It is. Yeah. <laughs> 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 You're like, I'm good here. <laughs> For the rest of you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. No, honestly, if I, if I didn't have a family, I probably would leave immediately right but you get stuck you get trapped you get trapped and that's always that's, that's, a, that's a problem for all of us do you think about your legacy uh, not really okay. <laughs> no, no I don't just I don't. cross out this question <laughs> <laughs> no I do think about what do, uh, what do I think about legacy no, and also I think one of the things we need to, to not individualize things as well right so I think like I wrote the book but it's, these are even my ideas right I'm just kind of bringing together them? and collecting right. them and, co- and recasting them as black radicalism um and so I think what's, what's our legacy, what should our legacy be is really important. Um, and I think personally, I, I, if, I'm, if I retire as an academic, I'll have failed, dramatically failed. Wow. Like this isn't theory for me, this is real. So what we're trying to do is build, a, build an organization where I would leave, will be able to leave relatively soon, <laughs> as soon as possible, right, <laughs> as right. soon as possible, because the university isn't the solution. In fact, the university is the problem. Yeah. All right. And so we need to be creating independent institutions and I guess one of the problematic legacies of things that happened in the past is that you have all these movements you have all this energy in the UK had plenty of movements and legacy and money and it's all gone 
I, I shouldn't have to be creating an organization in 2013. We started around the organization of Black Unity. I shouldn't, we should actually be an organization I could just go into, right? right? So thinking about, if you want to think legacy going forward, it's having an organization that you don't have to choose. Like there is no organization you can go and join as Black Radical and that can support you. That's the problem. So we have to create that organization so that people don't have to have to sell. Is sell out the right word? I guess sell out is the right word. Mm. Right, but right now, what choice do you have? You ain't got a choice. I can't, I can't survive. Right. I'm black radicalism. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's not going to feed my children. <laughs> right. Black radicalism doesn't put food on the table. <laughs> no. Well, we've got to make it. But we, but we have to make it. That's, right, that's we have to get to that point. <laughs> well, I'm having this conversation with myself right now. You know, it's like, I never want to work for white people again. <laughs> but I'm also, I need to eat. <laughs> so what are you going to do? So I mean, that's the key. Like, fuck. Yeah. But, uh, but we're a better place. In many ways, a better place than we were previously in some ways so maybe particularly in the media fields democ- democratization of media production things like that it's not crazy that we could start something that could generate income etc etc yeah and there are a chorus of voices that are getting that is getting louder and louder yeah for sure yeah i mean we see it with queer black podcasts mm-hmm. globally really and the global listenership of, of busy being black you know yeah. all across the african continent um and so i think there's an appetite for yeah. for this change that that you're calling us to i, I think book. the problem is though that a lot of that often gets lumped gets confused with black capitalism so i'm saying yeah you need to make money but that making money isn't the, isn't the solution it's <laughs> really not a solution it's just like a, that's like a goal that's like a method of which we can advance the revolutionary struggle it isn't the right end so point yeah, we of might it. participate in capitalism in order to raise the money to fund our revolution yeah but ultimately that's not the point right the point is to end this system I think that's the tr- I think that's the tricky thing, um, and yeah, that's no th- shit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but to be honest, that can only be overcome by really having a movement that has the field Negro isn't here anymore. That is not. We have a welfare state. Like we, you get benefits, you have a house. Like you know what I'm saying. Stuff you you we're all kind of in the field at this point, right? If we're here, we're definitely a neglected part. There's definitely hierarchy. But we're in that kind of in the house. There's almost it. Maybe the basement of the house, but we're in the house, right? <laughs> the, the field, the field is. I mean, three what? Three million children die in South East Africa every year for no reason. Yeah, like that's, just, the field, that's the field. And the biggest problem for our politics is that we just do not have them connected in the tool. That's why it has to be global. That's why you have to have the grassroots. And even when we talk about Africa, we're, off, we're usually talking about elite Africans who can travel, or the government of Africa. We're not talking about three million children. That, those are the people. They have to be in our politics. So they're the only people that are really going to hold us to account and make sure that we uh, are doing what we need to do. How you build that? Is, that's 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 complicated. That's tricky. But that's what we should. That was the questions we should that's be. That's what we should be focusing on. Yeah. yeah. So to close, I, I ask everyone the same question: um, What do you hope for? What do I hope for? Yeah. No, honestly, I think I, it's not impossible. I've, it's possible to build a global organization that has millions of black people across that does have the grassroots in it. It's not going to happen in five years or ten years or maybe even twenty years but if we put the work in now and really do that we can be fifty years we seem to think in fifty years fifty years ago which is us hopefully still be alive in fifty years I would hope but fifty years ago the world was completely different I mean completely different the capitalism was in crisis there was a real chance that it would end through many ways communism pan-Africanism etc etc and in the next fifty years, if we do things differently, because we went down the wrong road and we're still on that road, we go back and do things differently. The world can be completely different again in the next fifty years. Mm-hmm. We just have to believe that it can be and put the work in to do it. And the blueprint's there. Black radicalism isn't my idea. It's been there for hundreds of years. Uh, we need to engage back into that blueprint uh, and push it, change, completely change how we see the world. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Kahindi Andrews is an associate professor of sociology at Birmingham City University, the director of the Center for Critical Social Research, founder of the Organization of Black Unity, and the co-chair of the Black Studies Association. He is also the UK's first professor of black studies. You go on now, Dr. Kahindi. Busy Being Black is the podcast exploring how we live in the fullness of our queer black lives. Thank you to our partners, UK Black Pride and Blackout UK, and to you, the listeners. Look, I 
I'd really love hearing from you and the feedback that I've been getting from you all in emails, on social media, and in private messages has been really, truly overwhelming. Please keep it coming. And don't forget that your private feedback is great. I love it. Keep it coming. But also, tell other people. You can leave a comment. You can rate. You can review. You can retweet. It all helps. Busy Being Black is by us, for us, and I so deeply appreciate your support. Finally, thank you to Anthony Giles, a queer black Grammy-nominated producer based in New York City for these bomb-ass at Busy Being Black Beats. Ashe. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.